Hey everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Not Your Average Critic with your host, Michael Newman. My name is Mateo Mantillo. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Ratched, a new Netflix show created by Evan Romansky and developed by Ryan Murphy, the mastermind behind all the American Horror Story television series. Ratched is a prequel to the infamous One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, focusing on the life of the antagonist, Mildred Ratched. We're going to be diving deep into talking about set design, special effects, dramaturgy, actors, script, and everything episode one pilot. So be warned, this will contain spoilers. So let's not waste any time and hop right into rap. Nah, man, absolutely. Um, So first of all, I want to say I'm really happy that we're part of this brand new podcast we're doing. I think it's really cool that we're diving deep into film, documentaries, and all other types of amazing film which, uh, within this incredible artwork space. Super really cool. So glad to be here, Michael. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here with you too. All right, awesome. Especially starting out with Ratch. It's a very interesting film. Yeah, you know what? I didn't. Yeah, so I didn't know about the series really until you told me, and I really didn't know what to expect going in. I knew it was um by the genre that it was that it was a um a like like a thrill like that type of like, type of thriller type of like yeah. um type of story. But I didn't really expect you know. It kind of just like the first of all, it, everything just kind of jumps at you from what happens. And I kind of want to deep into the first seven minutes of this series. So first of all, it already opens up in like a very like weird type of like location. So it's kind of like, like this mansion or this house where like all these priests are staying at. And usually I guess when you think about priests, you kind of think about, like, you know, like innocent or like helpful or I guess, you know, depending on what you're outlook of it is you know you definitely don't think about you know bad things happening yeah, definitely. yeah and then like out of nowhere it's like all right they're all going to a movie the one guy the one guy uh what was, what's the first priest name do you recall i'm not sure but it was the priest who was visiting from nigeria he was like just there for the week yeah exactly yeah then there's like some other ones like a head monsignor in there so one of the priests um you know they asked him to go to movies like oh no you know I'm, i think i'm sick and all that Think I'm gonna stay, but in reality, you know, like we see him whip out like Vaseline, and, like, like a Playboy, Playboy magazine. magazine, yeah. And clearly, yeah. he's and clearly he's you know he's masturbating, and like, which is like that grabs your attention right away because it's kind of like damn, like it, those two things don't go together, like kind of like yeah, a priest, priest and, like, and a and Playboy and Vaseline, like you never, yeah, it's like you never think of those things like to happening and stuff like that. I think it kind of like sets the tone really well. For the rest of the show, which is like a yeah. whole bunch of spoilers and all, which a whole bunch of crazy moments and everything, which is and nuts. And that's literally the first four minutes in. And like, that's what makes it incredible is because it starts out so innocent with just like a church sermon and stuff like that. And then he's leaving in the rain. And as you see him leaving in the rain, you see some guy just like kind of standing there. So it kind of gives you a creepy vibe at first. But then when it takes you to the house and they're all just kind of chilling uh, you don't really think anything of it until there is the knock at the door and then it, it revealed that it is the guy who was standing there in front of the church under the rain. Yeah, exactly. That was like creepy. So now you're kind of like, oh no, it's like bringing this character back from before. Yeah, and man, absolutely. I think that throughout that whole portion of when the priests are in the house and stuff like that, the lightning and the thunder and the rain and everything was so obviously it's not real like they weren't filming during a thunderstorm but to make it seem so real with the the pattering of the rain on the windows and the flashing of lightning in every single window if you ever heard it and all the thunder and stuff at like perfectly timed moments but it didn't seem unnatural but it seemed like 
it was supposed to be put there and very ominous. And I thought that it really played into like making it uh, suspenseful and really makes you foreshadow what's going to happen next. Yeah, man, absolutely. I think one scene that, uh, that I want to bring up that you kind of like touched on was like with the thunder and lightning. So right when the uh, what's his name? Wait, um, what's the what's the, the killer's name? Well, he ends up being a killer. What's Edmund. his name again? Edmund. Yeah, back when when Edmund like when he gets inside the house, there's a scene where you see him. You see like, like a close up of his face. You kind of see like like the demented and kind of like creepy like. You know, kind of like serial, like serial killer, yeah. like look on his face, and then the, the lightning, like it strikes right, like in the background. Which, strike, I th- yeah, yeah, which I think it kind of, um, it kind of, like, um, does it? I'm sorry, <laughs> does like the president <laughs> for like, president for like, um, for exactly what's gonna happen. So I, I think already I knew the he was gonna kill the one of the priests as soon yeah. as, as soon as he looks at the knife. And I think that type yeah, of close like, up at objects for the rest of the episode are very important because like he looks at the knife and. I guess like the the priest, I don't know, being oblivious or just I yeah. don't know, says, Oh, do you want do you want to eat that? He said, No, I think I'll save it for later. And right then and there I was like, Yeah, he's gonna kill him because that's just I don't exactly. know. Exactly. And especially like that's another thing that this show does a lot of it's like it lets the audience foreshadow what's gonna happen next by showing objects or showing certain characters interact and you're like, Oh, where's that storyline gonna go next or what's gonna happen next? And I like about with the first kill with the priest is you don't see it happen like, yeah like it just cuts into the other priests coming back from the movie yeah and then they're all kind of getting ready to go to bed and just kind of dressing down getting in their robes and everything praying and then it isn't revealed until later when the the nigerian priest who was just visiting goes into the bathroom and is just in the bathroom and all of a sudden the music gets completely quiet it becomes super quiet the only thing the audience is focusing on and anything else is just the priest in the mirror and then all of a sudden you just hear like drip drops from like the faucet in the bathtub yeah that was that, then, that's me as the creepiest part like that that was a very like yeah. anxious building type of like type of scene because you already know that the first priest is dead you know what happened yeah you, you don't need to, you don't need to see a scene of it you already know what happened mm-hmm. you already mm-hmm. for some reason you don't know what happened and before that scene too um I don't know if you noticed or not, but like not the Nigerian priest, but the one of the other ones, he goes into the dining room table because he's gonna get coffee for everybody, and he sees that yeah. the the, the, the plate is still the there, still but there. the knife isn't there. The knife, the steak knife, was oh. originally there before, and and you see a close up of it, but then the second shot of it, it's not there no more. So now you gotta wonder, damn, like where's the knife at? That. So that's another hint that hey, like this guy was you know like was you know was killed in there. My only question yeah. was my only question was okay like obviously it's pretty evident that the um that the guy killed the first priest. I was thinking okay one why did he kill him? Second of all is he still in the house or did he leave or are they gonna find yeah. him dead or what was the whole like thing with that? That was the, that was the only like like you know anxious you know building moment um up until that point. And again like you said it's, it's in the first five minutes of the whole series, so already you're asking a thousand questions. You know who are these priests? Why are they important? Who's this other guy? Clearly his car didn't break down. Like, there's just so much going yeah. on at the time. Yeah. Back to that. The knocking on the door when he's like, oh, my car broke down. Can I use your phone? Like, the most... That's the worst, yeah. One but, in the book. It's like, really? Yeah. But I mean, I guess like, I guess for us, because we were born in, um, I guess, like, in the, in the 90s and all that, like, we, we take it for granted. Because obviously nobody nowadays is going to knock on our windows and say, oh, can I use your phone? No. I'm mean, like, no. Like, 
use your cell phone or something but like i guess back then i don't know i guess it was more customary yeah to do that and plus him being a priest you know imagine if you would have said no how how would that yeah, work yeah, yeah exactly like he would slam the door in his face but if, oh, and you know, then sucks so back to the nigerian guy when he and then when he goes to react to the drip drop it's quiet as soon as he moves that shower curtain the music blares the violins go the trumpets everything you see his his, his his throat the other guy's uh, throat slit and everything you see the, then yep. you see the killer on the other side yeah and then they sh yeah when the yeah. camera shows back to the priest he's like in complete shock the door just slowly turning back and like the uh edmund tolleson who is the the killer he's just standing there like ready to pounce on the next guy which yeah which i mean to me it's just very surprising on how he took on four guys very like simultaneously like to me it's almost like you need to plan out you need to plan out this type of execution because it's like it's it's i, I would think it's very hard to like you there's a lot of patience in order to like yeah. kill one guy then wait till everyone else gets back then kill go room by room and stuff like that so it was kind of like like a hit per se like it was kind of like so yeah something yeah. like that and the thing is like so he's like in this case he's kind of seen as a psychopath because of course who would want to kill a priest and of course back then in the 40s killing a priest or killing anybody like within that type of um within that type of like social standard yeah no matter what it no matter what the story is no matter what the argument is is known as like the worst type of thing you, you like, could do yeah, like like demonic or something like something along those lines yeah of course i guess like back then you know um america was, was more conservative and of course that kind of ties into religion so even yeah. if and in and, and listen um he had a very good reason for killing like the monsignor for well not for killing everybody yeah, else but for killing just, monsignor like yeah when he explains it i'm like wow like not that i'm sympathizing with him not that i think that you know people should be out here killing priests but at the same time like yeah it's crazy yeah so for those who didn't see the the, the episode the reason he ends up killing the head monsignor so he wasn't there for the other priest i guess the other priest just got in the way he got angry and stuff yeah, like that pre he pretty much was just like waiting for that one guy and then yeah. i guess like the other people were just uh, in his they way they were just yeah much. they were just wrong place one time but like the reason the guy wanted to kill the head monsignor was because apparently that the monsignor is, is his father now apparently the monsignor you know obviously um had sex with his mother which of course you can't do that if you're a priest and of course he's been a priest i guess for that long for the most part and apparently according to him she was sent to a whorehouse and died from like um i guess from, morphine, from, from morphine yeah something. morphine which is like pretty much like mm -hmm. heroin or something like that so yeah i guess like he found out tracked him down everything like that so i mean from right. that case you could understand why this person would be in a mental state to want to to at least seek out revenge even though it is a priest now unfortunately it's a priest and people aren't gonna want to care especially like back then from cultural standards people aren't gonna care what happened all they know is that a priest was slaughtered by this one guy and that's like the you know obviously you would never think about doing that so it's a very interesting case and a very interesting it's also a very interesting aspect on how the show kind of portrays the priests because usually, yeah, exactly. because usually, yeah, because usually, I guess in society, you look at the priest yeah. at first as like um, innocent, holy, who's preaching, yeah. yeah, religion and stuff like that, and then when you find out this like information that it was a child, two children out of wedlock, and like yeah, he he suppo she supposedly 
in quotes, uh, consented to what they were doing. It's right. like, no, it, it totally changes your perspective on him immediately and throws yeah. him being a priest out the window. And like, you think of him as a totally different person. Yeah, I think also what's cool, there's a lot of overshadowing within that moment because the one of the first priests who get killed, the first priest who gets killed, the reason he stays home, mind you, and doesn't go to the movies with everybody else, wasn't because he wasn't feeling well or because it was raining and stuff like that. It was because he wanted to, to masturbate. Like he wants some like oh, yeah, some privacy yeah. time. Yeah. So, and that was like one of the first instances of like the you know like the what the hell moment like that like kind of surprising moment. Like he's he the Vaseline the camera shows the Vaseline. Yeah, shows the Playboy magazine. He says, "What's up, girls?" And then like scene change scene changes to him knocking on the door and him like like his back is turned to the camera. You could tell he's trying to masturbate, but then he has a knock at the door, which you know inevitably ends up being a killer. But it's just kind of like you like th like those words are like a little cringy because you would never associate i guess you know priests to being to have exactly. those type of sexual desires even though i guess nowadays right. within these past 10 years or five years there have been there's been more like more like press um focus on the press on you know on um on priests that have you know have sexual encounters and that you know sexual assault types of things so i guess exactly. so i think like this type of show this type of plot is perfect for nowadays because th this storyline this plot wouldn't have gotten any airtime 20 years ago oh, no, 30 years ago 40 years ago no canceled out the building nothing but i think nowadays you know i think it's it is we do need to come to terms with the fact that you know there are these higher up people and there are you know these higher end you know um, individuals yeah, that do do predators. horrible things and have been doing horrible things for a very long time and i'm not sure if this story is a do you know if it's a based on a true story or not i don't think so you don't think so? Okay, which would be crazy if it was. But based off the novel, but I'm not sure if the novel is taken from anything. Okay, like any real stories or right. any accounts. Well, I'm sure the I'm sure the whole idea of having a priest who had children out of wedlock, you know, I'm sure that's happened. It's not impossible. Yeah, I'm saying like, let, let's yeah. not act like that's never happened before in the history of the church, whether it's in the states or in any other country and Anywhere, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm positive it's happened i'm sure priests have gotten killed for shady things on the download that they th that they thought that they would never get caught over whether yep. it's in the states or somewhere else you know so i'm sure you know shady business deals yeah so anything, this yeah. yeah this type of story while it might be fiction or might well it might not be it's probably on events or plus on situations that probably have transpired or have happened i don't know why my lights acting like that but anyway <laughs> But, anyway, but yeah, I mean, listen, first seven minutes, incredible, amazing. Yeah. I'm just like, the only question I have is that obviously, oh wait, yeah, I was going to ask how he got caught, but like, so there's four priests in total, three of them die, yeah, including the head monsignor. Got, oh yeah, no, the one The got other him. one is under the bed watching the head yes, mon the monsignor, no. like, he's pretty much seeing, watching him like, you know, be tortured, you know, stabbed. They, they don't show the guy getting tortured or stabbed, but they, you hear him like gasping and stuff like that. You, yeah, and, pretty and, and, much. And you he and you see um the the priest that was hiding like his, his hand over his mouth you know just absolutely shocked so i guess that's how he got caught but crazy I yeah mean, they don't really show yeah. how he got caught they just kind of so after that first seven minutes it cuts and then it just starts showing absolutely beautiful california scenery, scenery yeah of california's cliffs and it's like pacific coast highway um, I looked up where Lu Lucia is and it's like an hour and a half, two hours ish north from LA kind of. It's on the coast. Okay. And which is which is crazy. Yeah. 
Go yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy that it's a real place, but... Yeah. It's also I crazy that, like, um, on the sign that says Welcome to Lucia, it said, like, population 950-something. Yeah. So that's already like a very small, small city. Not even that's you can't even. I wouldn't even call it a city that even nowadays. Like rural that's town. like a town. Yeah. The, so the fact that it's from it, that's an hour away from LA is pretty, pretty crazy. Because first of all, we're not talking about like California back like in the eighteen hundreds, yeah, or yeah, like you know like a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about California back you know like eighty. Yeah, like close to 80, 70 something years ago. So you know of course when like cities were built already, everything was kind of like not too different. So, and I also find it very fitting that, like, of course, like, the mental hospital is in Lucia, which is a place that's population under a thousand people, kind of like on the outskirts. To me, it would kind of make sense that, like, a, that, like, a psychiatric hospital would be, like, somewhere like that. I lied. It's five hours away from LA. Oh, five hours? Okay. <laughs> now nah, we'll, we'll still, it's still California. Yeah, but nice. Still, but yeah, it's, it's right. It's actually closer to San Francisco, so it's probably like an hour so and still, a half down. Yeah, right, so San Francisco is still popping and city and everything, so same exactly. same thing applies. Thinking about that now, and especially where California was booming with film and TV and everything. Yeah, exactly, the 1940s, yeah. Like, it's like, what? So it just follows the cliffs around, and it is showing just a beautiful landscape, and then it just goes straight to a gas station where these two people are making out and it focuses on them and then it kind of pans the camera back to this green car and it zooms in and that's where their first sight of Mildred Ratched is where she's sitting in a green a mint green 1946 Ford Super Deluxe which pretty much tells us the time period it's 1946, 19 and everything around there is 1940s and, yeah, and, and that's tells, it's a nice car too by the way. Yeah, it's a super, beautiful super car, beautiful car. Like yeah, four doors, huge, and it actually, when it first came out, it went for two thousand five hundred dollars. Which That's how much it cost now? Now, which back then it, that was a that was a decent amount of money. Yeah, for, like inflation, definitely. Yeah. Like how much it would be cost now. Yeah, but so they show the gas station and they have like gas station attendants and uniforms and everything and like the music is playing oh yeah completely different time which is nuts yeah it's like it, it goes from like murders to just like oh wow look at this nice place yeah and then um she you finally meet mildred ratch and that's where you meet it's uh mildred ratch who's played by sarah paulson who is most known for like her characters in american horror story and she's been in American Horror Story for like every season, except for the most recent one that came out. I was also and gonna say she was in um the the OJ Simpson biopic. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she, she played was in the um, OJ Simpson thing on HBO. She played Marsha Clark, which is one of the the head um defense attorney. Oh no, um the fed um one of the prosecutors on the OJ Simpson case, and she did an amazing job within that series. She like I gave her a actor. lot of credit. Like not only she looks a lot like the actual Marsha Clark, but the way she just portrayed. The lawyer side, the personal side, and everything that went with that case is incredible. So I was actually really excited to find out that she was in um that she was one of the lead actresses in this um in this in this series. Yeah, I actually just found out that she was filming that, filming the OJ Simpson and filming American Horror Story no at way. the same time. And she was playing uh Marsha, whatever her last name is, Marcia and Clark. she was playing a crackhead in American Horror Story. So what? for her to be switching between like those two characters, it's like wow, it's really incredible. That's yeah. I, ju I just found inc that out like, yesterday. 
they were like the only issue is filming these at the same yeah, time yeah now i think with acting so, too is that it's such a grind all the time so yeah. for her to be doing both like one day she has to be a lawyer you know a lawyer in the biggest one of the one of the biggest celebrity cases in this country's history and then go to like like a fictional world where she has to be like like in a demented state you know um horror story type of state absolutely incredible it just shows how talented she is it is incredible and you see it in the first five seconds of when you meet her because you can tell mildred's character right away she's very like she seems very pretentious at first like very she's like, very pretentious <laughs> very yeah and yeah. I gotta go. The guy who's filling her gas is like focusing on the two people that are making out, and he forgot to give her her paper. And she's like, uh, "I'm pretty sure I asked you for my paper." Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gives it to her, and then he asks her for directions, and she asks him for directions, and then he kind of gives it to her, and then realizes that she's going to Lucia, which yeah. is where what a hospital they're bringing the priest killer Edmund Tullison to stay at this mental hospital before. They can see if he's fit to stand a trial. And the gas station attendant is like, oh, you're going there? Like, what are you, a journalist or something like that? And she responds with, um, you should bathe more often. Your fingernails are filthy. And then <laughs> Yeah, away. no, that was the funniest thing. The and like funniest that thing. pretty much just shows you like right off the bat how she cares about how she looks. Because you can see in her thing, she's wearing like a pea coat. With a hat and like a little bow. Oh no, she's super fashionable. Super fly. Super put together. And you could see that she's very like OCD about it. And if she could notice the dirt under his fingernails by him just filling up his her gas. Yeah. And she's like impeccable to what she's associating herself with and doing. Yeah, no, her character very seems um seems very bold. And it's crazy because like her other character, well, at least how her other character for Marsha Clark was in OJ Simpson um story, it wasn't I see some similarities because Marsha Clark, she plays a very, again, put together, takes no shit from anybody, focused type of mentality. So for yeah. me, it's kind of cool that she kind of like took, not not the same exact game plan, mind you, because they're both completely different characters and completely different yeah. um, universes and storylines. But she took this, like a pro. yeah, she took that, that, that attitude approach as like focus, you know. What's no bullshit all bullshit aside um type of like aspects and put into that character which is amazing and for me yeah. also like it also i was also very surprised on how like how focused she was because from the minute she's getting gas and this is the first time that we that the audience sees her within a whole show she seems focused and determined for something from yeah. the jump which i think is very important because it's at the end of the episode you understand why she's so focused and and all of that and so yeah, so and again, like with the fashion, she she has she has a couple of looks throughout throughout the certain scenes. So at first, like she's yeah, dressed like, like you can yeah, see that she's obviously getting like up to date fashion because they do a little like montage scene of her going to the mall. Yeah, and she literally steals the clothes right off of the mannequin. Like <laughs> it, she steals them right off the mannequin in the dressing room, and then you see the next scene of her wearing the same clothes. And it's right. like, oh, she's wearing the clothes that were just on the mannequin in the store. What? So she's clearly up to date with fashion. She's up to date with what's going on, even though she may have not have purchased it herself. Right. She still knows what's in style. Right. Wait, so wait, so she stole it? Yeah. I repeat that part. Okay. Right. 
the orange right after she drives away and she goes to uh, the motel, which they show the motel in this beautiful, like on the cliff, right on the ocean, this blue little like bungalows that kind of just like line up next to each other. Um, they show her getting ready to go to her quote unquote interview with yeah. Dr. Hanover. And when she's getting ready, she's like putting uh, what's it called Nair on her face and like the, the violins start playing and it cuts to her in the mall and she's just looking at this mannequin with this orange like burnt orange mustard kind of yellow co- colored um dress slash peacoat hat combo i would say and then literally they show it and then the next and like the next they cut to her in the dressing room shoving something in her bag Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that scene. Yeah, yeah. And the next thing is just her wearing it, and it's like, oh, she just stole that. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, no. So I think I think costume design in this um this show is amazing. Simply because too, like 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 everything details from like gas station attendant to what he was wearing, to what to what the fashion was, but yeah, to what the fashion was back then. And I guess like back in the forties, like big bright colors were. Well, it's kind of popular. We see, we see what yeah. the Ford she's driving. She's driving like a, a turquoise colored yeah, car. No one else does that anymore, unless it's like, not really those like those bright, big colors like that yeah, anymore. People like wrap your cars and stuff like that, but like they don't normally have like colors where you can pick them right off the line. Yeah, exactly. Where like that's not a custom color. Like that's literally a color that she picked out from. From the, yeah, from, yeah, from the dealership or whatever. Maybe she stole it. Maybe she did steal it. Yeah, because <laughs> as a matter it. of fact, she stole her clothing. So you know what? Yeah, yeah. like maybe she stole the so clothing. And then you know. we get into her finally going to the mental hospital in Lucia. It's where she says she got a letter for an interview with Dr. Hanover. And the head nurse comes up and she's like, uh, where'd you get this letter from? And she's like, Dr. Hanover sent it. And the nurse says, that's impossible because... That's not Dr. Hanover's signature, and Dr. Hanover never sent that letter, nor did I, because I'm the only one in his office. Yeah. So she pretty much forged the letter. She it faked an interview, faked her coming there. So it's like, wait a second. It, it's, you can't tell if she's like, how authentic is she? What is she saying that's true, and what is she saying that's not true? Yeah, now, there's a lot of confusion building up to that moment, because I was thinking, okay, on one hand... I kind of do believe her because what, what what is she doing there in the first place? I thought the whole reason of her going to Lucia was to do something. You know, at first I thought she was a journalist. I thought she wanted to, you know, get like a conversation or an interview with Dr. Hanover, but she wanted to do it at a different approach because you do see, you, you, you do see, um, members of the press and the media outside of oh, yeah, the, motel. the mental, yeah, at the motel and everything. And they're, but they're kind of like, they're not um they're not so undercover about it. So I wasn't sure if she wants to go with a different approach and like go like the undercover, like you know, be a nurse and just like find out stuff mm-hmm. about the story and then report yeah, like it. A Nelly, like a Nelly Bly situation. Yeah, exactly. Which which in, in that case I was like, oh wow, that's actually really smart. But then as it kept on going for some reason, I don't know. I, I was just like, I don't know. Like she she might be a journalist, but. And then you're like, wait, is she in yeah. there? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, she finally does get the interview with dr hanover and she's explaining all her nursing expertise and where she's been and what she's done i'm like questioning i'm like is that real like yeah did she because actually... yeah because technically like who's gonna know like she because she yeah. forged the letter she could have yeah. forged all this other document that might have been that's and that's the easy thing that, that's the easy thing to lie about 
because I guess even like because even right now, if I go to if I go to a random person and say, "Hey, listen, I was in um, I know how to do uh, what was she saying like like breathing therapy, shock this, and all these accolades." Exactly. Yeah. Realistically, if you're a person who would have no, who doesn't know how to verify that information, you kind of have to you know sit there and say, "Okay, like." maybe maybe not yeah i just saw today that somebody said that you can go to this uh i forget it's like a workout store say that you're a gym trainer and then get 25 percent off by showing them a excel sheet that you made on that you made yourself that just shows a work schedule like a fake excel sheet that's incredible so, it's happening today <laughs> that's, that's insane yeah no that's amazing yeah but i mean yeah so that character to me was amazing just because again shifty the audience, we don't know what her intentions are. We might, we may know that she's sneaky, that she's straight to the point, and that she's on a mission. We know for a fact that she's on a mission. She's doing something, you know, crazy and all yeah. that. But we don't know why she's, she's doing there for it. A reason. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know why. Yeah. So, I think like Doctor Hanover's um character was interesting too because at first you don't see him like in the, in like in in the in the facility. Because like the head nurse, um, basket head nurse, her name is Basket. She said that he was out in like a meeting somewhere. Nurse Bucket, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Bucket. Yeah, my bad. But um, so he ends up, you know, like meeting meeting with the governor of California because I guess like he wanted more funds for his um. Well, at first he doesn't facility. even meet with him. He's in the hallway yeah. of like oh, yeah, guess, true. the governor's building. Yeah. And he's waiting for a meeting, and then the governor's secretary just opens the door and says, "Uh, can't meet right now. Maybe next month." And then just slams the door. Complete yeah. silence, and then it just cuts to him drinking in a bar of sadness. But then he sees the governor sitting at a table to eat, to which he goes over and starts talking to the governor while he's trying to eat. Yeah. When he was supposed to meet him that day, it just shows how like rude the governor is. And then as you see like the governor come into the restaurant, and you see how rude he is and stuff like that. Like I was thinking, I was like, today people would record that, read right. it in a minute, and it would go viral in a second. Everyone exactly, yeah. How that governor was acting or how they would be behind the scenes but you don't have that in 1946 yeah no i mean it's it's definitely very interesting you brought that up because i think when it comes to movies like this are very nostalgic or at least um have a time frame that's more than 50 years beyond it beyond like or the era that we're currently in it's very interesting to think about stuff like that because i guarantee a lot of people um that were born like maybe like well the 40s was a long time ago so let's say like the 50s or 60s 70s mm-hmm. they may have looked at like a time like that and been and been maybe not more used to it because they didn't grow up in that era but like they were closer to it yeah. like but like you said like the era where like governors politicians and these famous people or like people within that type of power could go to restaurants and bars you know that easily and there's no phones or cameras out and stuff like that it's they interesting they and because and yeah and it kind of shows that back then you know we think that politicians and these big named people with big occupations that they can do whatever they want. Imagine back then, if there was no documentation of doing whatever you want. Imagine if this that same thing would have happened nowadays, where like the director of a hospital of any kind, God, he yeah, been like, Are you yeah, yeah, like- yeah, would have been like inquiring for a meeting for funding for the hospital for for patients, and the governor would have kept you know delaying it for months and months after that all it takes let's say hatch was born in that situation was happening today that it just takes um hatch to it just that all it takes just for him to you know go on twitter or go on like instagram or like talk to a newspaper which i don't I'm, which actually i'm not sure why he didn't do that but 
you know, who knows? But like, yeah, no, the governor would have been but, blasted. But, but, no, off of I that. know exactly why he didn't yeah. do that. I know exactly why he didn't do that because you find out that while he's sitting at the bar, there's some guys staring at him, like watching him. So, is Doctor Hanover is being followed by somebody? So it's like, wait, what? It's like it makes you think more about Doctor Hanover's character too, that who he is and where he came from. Yeah, man, absolutely. Because, like, why is some suspicious guy following him as the violin weir in the background? Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, So, let's see what else we could kind of talk about. Um, Rest of the series, I found it, I mean, rest of the episode, I found it very interesting because a lot of um, implements such as, like, you know, camera angles and lighting. Yeah, I actually want to talk about lighting real quick. So, as, as the series progresses to a certain extent, and when you end... Of course, um, you know, she has to, she ends up finessing a job as a nurse. We don't know how that happens. I mean, we, we do know how it happens. Like, it's just kind of like her finessing her way in. and like, Yeah, she literally just manipulates herself into getting it. Yeah, so she gets the job, right? So we don't even know if she's an actual nurse or something like that. Then, but like, as whenever there's scenes of her walking through the hallways, you just see the whole screen go to like a turquoise blue. The same, the same color as her car, by the way, which I found very interesting. And mm-hmm. that happens three times in a pilot. Every time that happens, where there's a like a, like a turquoise green within the um within the scenes, something big always happens, or something um very important happens. So I think the first one, if I'm not mistaken, is she walks in on another nurse yeah, so having hears, an affair with, with somebody else. Yeah, she hears banging from the lobby while she's waiting for Dr. Hanover and um, she goes in and she realize, she sees a nurse having relations with, I'm not sure if it's like, you can't really tell if it's a patient or if it's like an, an orderly nah, like I, I think, nah, I think it's like a, I think it's a worker. Because he, he, he was in uniform. You, the patients yeah, were in okay. uniform. Yeah. So he sees her and as she sees them having relations like in the room of the mental hospital and then she walked out but as she walked out you don't even see her she swipes that nurse's wallet finds out her name her address where she lives goes straight to her house after then sees her husband tells her husband like oh hey what's up uh tell your wife to call me and then when the wife calls her they agree to meet at a bar and that's where mildred tells her that you better quit or else i'm ruining your marriage which is is insane it's, it's, it's how manipulative she is and how she gets what she wants is insane. And how things also fall into place for her. Perfectly. Like, yeah. Things just happen to where, like, the governor, uh, uh, Dr. Hanover, eventually the governor secretary convinced him to, like, do funding because she was like, oh, this might look good for your campaign. And the next day, Mildred sent the doctor like a basket of flowers or fruit or something and he then thinks that she had something to do with him getting the funding yeah so even though she had nothing to do with it her like best wishes basket he's like whoa what did she do to do this even though she had nothing to do with it it's like what things just work out for her yeah no definitely honest yeah definitely incredible her her whole game plan 
which obviously I think she went there with a game plan, but she had to adjust to certain things and certain aspects. But the fact that she tracked down this woman, this woman's address, the fact that the fact that she even got this much like bad information on her to kind of blackmail her, yeah, exactly. Kind she, of easily she is so crazy. Much information on her that she literally got her to move out of the town and like quit her job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is, which is yeah, which is crazy. So like, and, yeah, and that scene, that scene. Like, I think that scene is really good because, like, it's just Mildred sitting alone at a booth. And then you see the nurse. It's like a blonde-haired, blue-eyed nurse come in. And all you hear is, like, faint jazz music playing on the background of the radio. Yeah. And, like, the people are playing pool. And you just hear, like, the pool balls hitting back and forth. And then the music and everything just kind of gets slowly quieter as, like, you focus in on Mildred and the nurse that, like, she's talking to. But you still hear like the pool boys, the pool balls hitting. So it's like you're still in that bar environment. You're not just kind of there. Exactly. So they're still in public to where they still have to kind of watch what they're saying. And you see like the nurse look around a couple of times, like, oh, this is kind of like suspicious, etc. But um, yeah, that was pretty good. Interesting scene. And then I think after that, when. That's when she gets the job. She finally gets into the position because there's no one to work there. She just decides to put herself in there. Is when the governor arrives. So she she works. The first day she works is the first day the governor arrives to the mental hospital. Like everything she does is so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How how coincidental? How coincidental is that? Honestly, like that. Like everything. Crazy, yeah. It, yeah, it's also crazy so, too because yeah, it's also nuts that. Within the acting in itself, obviously the governor brushes off um, Doctor Hanover so many times. But then when it comes to like a, a photo op, when it comes to you know like the, like the drama of um of the of the of the killer moving into that to the facility, now yeah, that's exactly. when he cares and that's when he wants the pictures and everything. That's when he's gonna give him like a whole like seventy five thousand dollar grant and everything. So I don't know, like so so yeah. So to me, it's almost like you see a lot of evil within. The first pilot, and it has nothing to do necessarily with the killer, because usually yeah, no, the yeah, because exactly. usually the way like these type of like crime thrillers work, there's one evil person, which in this case or which in many other cases is the serial killer, because it's the serial killer because serial killers, as we know, take advantage of innocent people, and kill the person, and they do it over and over and over. They do it multiple times, and they're known as monsters per se, but. What I learned from this first pilot is like, okay, like, yeah, like, there's this one villain, I guess, which is the serial killer. And within within his society, which is American 1940s, he's known as the villain. Because who would possibly want to, you know, want to kill a bunch of priests? But then as the story goes on, you start to figure out that, that there are more villains and that there are more, like, bad people that aren't being put into, um, that aren't being put into, kind of, like, um, in their, in their place. One of them being, for example, like the governor. For example, like why does it take um, one guy to kill four priests and him, you know, go to a mental hospital for you to finally care about the specific mental hospital when you could have cared yeah, about exactly. it five months before and that when he first asked you for a meeting? The whole thing of it was that the secretary saw it as something good for the governor's for publicity. Yeah, ex for, yeah so exactly. The only reason why he's helping is because it's going to help him get reelected. Yeah, he has, they, no, he has no yeah. other interest in the mental hospital. Like there, there would be no funding going towards it if it wasn't for the possibility of him being reelected. Yeah, and again, like um, I think 
yeah, like we said, like the whole political plan with that was to make it seem like he was more progressive, which mm-hmm. I think which surprises me personally. Well, none of this surprises like me, help. but like, yeah, the thing is, like, even to, even nowadays, who do we as like college students, as younger people, we look at the person who's more progressive. So for me, it's kind of like not nostalgia per sense, or like, oh, that's exactly what's going on today, because of course today's a whole different type of campaign. It's like it's like where it started in a way, like kind of. Yeah, where it's, it's where it starts, and it's kind of like okay, like nobody wants to be the old governor politician, even though that's what the, that governor might be. He might he's oh he might always be that older minded politician of like not really yeah. caring about the existing in power, but if we can perceive as being quote-unquote progressive to an audience or to the most of the country we can secure the vote and we can secure more power for the state per se so for me that's and listen if you listen i think a lot of people would say wow that's worse than killing four priests and stuff like that because at the end of the day like the the head monsignor you know he did something wrong you know he justice was delivered onto him he had repented for his sins but he didn't really repent this is like karma you know whatever you want to call it and but then this governor on the other hand who's using his power for irresponsible acts isn't being you know you know arrested or anything like that like yeah nothing because no one sees it yeah so there's a lot of like villainous types of characters that you see and it's not it it becomes more complicated than just one guy killing a, a, a priest which is kind of like the watered down dumbed down like theory and story that all these newspapers and media outlets are spreading towards the country. Now, of course, it was wrong for him to kill the other priests as well. I'm not saying like that's that's a good thing to do and of all that. And the only person who deserved justice per se or what had, what he had coming for him was the head monsignor. But it's kind of like behind the scenes, you know, like why it's kind of like the why factor. And you and you and you wonder to yourself too, you know, why did does this guy, um, you know, obviously why is this guy kind of like okay with doing this and why is this guy okay with like you know like the repercussions and you know why is he mentally all messed up and all of that and like and you kind of like try to figure out more about the killer in itself which is which mm-hmm. is nuts yeah but back to like the media and stuff like that like you see as soon as the governor arrives like the police sirens are he has a police escort and all of the journalists that are there are immediately snapping shots and grabbing photos yeah no it's, it's, it's a circus it's a show and I'm, I love, like, the sounds of the cameras, too, every time. Oh, yeah, no, incredible, yeah. That was, like, one of my favorite. It was, like, that just, like, whoo, like that sound of yeah. the shutter. Cl- like, you heard the camera capture the photo. Like, yeah. you literally heard it happen. Yeah, no, the sound, sound is, in this series is amazing. And the huge, and seeing, like, the huge clunky cameras with, like, those big metal, like, uh, flashes. And the, and the, flash, like and the like, flashes and everything, yeah. Those yeah, things must so have been, cool like, 50 pounds that. or something. Crazy. Yeah, like the, the the dramaturgy, which is like getting everything correctly with time period, the lighting, the effects and everything. I think it was really on point. Like I really didn't notice anything that was like, like like how in, in Game of Thrones, how someone left a Starbucks cup on the counter. Like I didn't notice anything. <laughs> yeah, like, no, like, I heard about that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. like there's no Starbucks in medieval times. Right, like, yeah, that's just there, a big mess I looked around and there's nothing really in the show that is like not of the right time period or doesn't, yeah, it's pretty, everything is pretty much right time period, all playing is all pretty much written how yeah exactly yeah the way they, the, really the way they, they communicate to each other is very like very yeah, 1940-ish yeah very 1940-ish and then i think that you you even see more 
evilness when we get into Ratchet finally like working at the hospital because she slips in the wrong medication to a priest who was working. Yeah, I, I don't of know course, if, I don't right? Know yeah. That's supposed to be like maybe some sort of like, oh, he's a priest. She's doing it to the priest, or just because the priest had some sort of medical condition if he yeah. took this drug he was right. reaction but priest had a reaction she pretty much saved him, him yeah everyone but like she kind of like saved him, him. oh wait <laughs> he died thinks, no, no no he almost died he okay yeah, he, almost died. He, he almost dies in front of everyone but the governor thinks that she saved his life so she gets her picture taken and put in the newspaper yeah and that just pretty much just further proven how much everything just falls into her place because the Dr. Hanover refuses to get a picture taken and the governor's yeah. like, fine, I'll take a picture with her. Yeah. And she doesn't even technically work there yet. Like exactly. literally after yep. the photo is taken, nurse bucket, who's the head nurse says to Dr. Hanover and says, well, I guess she works here now because she literally just came in because she knew that that other nurse wasn't going to be there because yeah. she told her she better not be there. Right. So, it's like crazy how everything goes. It's but once she's finally working yeah. there and stuff, she starts talking to that guy, Mr. Salvatore. Yeah. Oh, no, that. that scene was... That's when I knew she was a psycho. Like an actual yeah. psychopath. That's when I knew I was like, okay, there's something At mentally first, yeah. wrong with this lady. Like, for real. Because it's one thing to be like manipulative to the point where you could land yourself a job. At a at a hospital. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one thing to do that. That's psych, Being a psychopath is like... Well, being manipulative, that's like stage one of being a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you got to, you know, but to mess be it, yeah. manipulative at the point to where she gets someone to pretty much commit suicide is like, yeah. what? The, no, no, the way, so, like, yeah, so the scene we're talking about is like, um, there's this ment- there's this patient, his name is Richard Salvatore, and she comes up to him as a nurse. You don't really know why he's there. You don't really know why he's Yeah, we don't. Hospital. You yeah. don't really know, but he's just there and he can't see his family. Yeah, right. So, he can't see his family. He has, he has, a, he, but he has a condition of some sorts because you, you can see in his eyes, which again goes to the acting of this whole show. Yeah, he's incredible. Kind of cat- like kind of like catonic state to where he's like emotionless and like mute in a way. But we don't really know what's wrong with him. Yeah, but then she pretty much just tells him like, "Hey, listen, um, they're gonna tell you that you can see your family, blah blah." But like, I know exactly how you feel. You will never see your family. I just want to let you know. Yeah, I don't yeah, want you to. I don't want you to suffer a, the way that. Story. Yeah, yeah. I don't want you to suffer the way that I'm suffering. Um, what's it called? Um, doctor. Um, the doctor has um like like a uh, um envelope opener, which is kind of like a knife, pretty much. Um, do you want me to show you where it's at? Knowing that this guy is like already a mental wreck, and that he, it's probably gonna be. He's probably suicidal because he's crying now and everything. So, yeah, but the way this just yeah. Makes it, at first, she kind of makes it seem like there's hope like she's yeah, talking about a story exactly, about yeah. how her mother was there and then all of a sudden she's like nah her, her mother left her on the doorstep and then she was left in an orphanage to where she thought she would see her mother again but she's never going to see her again and they're doing the same thing to you now and he's like what and the complete shock of that she's like you're never leaving you're never going to leave this place and he all he wants to do is leave and see his brother again and unfortunately he gets the news that his brother passed away so yeah he really has nothing else to want because that's all he wanted to do is see his brother yeah so she tells him yeah there's a letter opener on the desk i can show you and she brings him there and when she brings him there she leaves him there alone and as she leaves there 
she runs into Dr. Hanover, who discovered the medication, who she, uh, the medication seal was broken on the blood pressure reducer medication that she gave to the priest who collapsed and, di- and almost died. Yeah. So, so he, he knows that she did it. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was crazy that he was catching on. I was like, damn, all right, here we go. It's going to get caught right yeah. here. It was like right about here. And then all of a sudden there's just a bang. And yeah. he's like, who's in my office? And she's like, what are you talking about? I don't know what's wrong with you. You're crazy. Totally <laughs> yeah, exactly. Situation. He totally forgot what he was talking to her about. And then they go into the office and discover that Mr. Salvatore has split his throat and is literally dead on the floor of his office. And he doesn't know what to do. So because the governor, the press, everyone is there at the time. Like this is happening. Like you forget that this is like happening at that time. Like I forgot that the governor was there. Yeah, and then it's like so like, much. Now, that's the thing. Like with the show, so much things happening at the same time. You kind of yeah. forget that this is a very hectic time right now. That usually, like you know, like a lot of people can't like function under like, these hectic time. Like for example, like like a um, normal person who was trying to like do the same exact thing that, that she was doing would have maybe waited till, till the governor left. Would have maybe waited exactly. till like you know things were a little more in the clear. No, she does this all as or, cameras, or reporters are everywhere. It's nuts. But yeah, it so, like, falls into place. Dr. Hanover is just completely in shock and he just doesn't know what to do. So Nurse Ratchet, I, will, <laughs> I shouldn't even call her Nurse Ratchet, I should call her Ratchet yeah. right now. She pretty much is like, don't worry, I'll clean it up. And he pretty much just agrees with it where I was just like, what? Yeah, and, I was like, I was like, um, but things like she like manipulates him in a sense because he says, listen, um, there's reporters here. You got to put on a, a good face. Um, I'll, I'll clean this up, take care of it. Like nothing happened. And at the same time too, like, again, w- with, uh, with Dr. Hanover, I kind of understand like that decision in towards a certain extent, because in a sense, it's like, he doesn't know for a fact that it was her who did it, but he doesn't know for a fact that it was her who, um, ended up drugging the priest by, you know, whatever it's, you know, all that yeah. being negligent. He doesn't know for a fact. He just finds it very, he's putting two and two together, but then the sudden shock of, you see one of your patients that has committed suicide, which could be the end, which he's right. It could have been the end of his practice and everything. Stay would have shut it down. Oh, yeah, would have been like really bad. Religion. Reporters would have been the worst well, thing in the, in the world, right? Like how did the patient get there? Yeah. Yeah. So, and she plays him like a, she plays him honestly. She says, listen, um, yeah. she plays the, I'm on your side. Let's try to clean this up. You know, you have, you have to face reporters and stuff like that. Go and do it. He does. And she cleans up everything, which is which is crazy because usually like like to clean up clean. blood and everything like like you have to like know what you're doing. Like a rookie wouldn't be able to just like a little bit of she blood marks here and there. Blood. Yeah, like she cremates him too. She puts him in like the yeah. I, I don't know cre- if it's like a, she cremates him. Yeah, she cremates probably everything to where she knows how to get rid of the evidence. Like who would yeah. know? How to, who would know? No, I gotta cremate this. Like we gotta make exactly. It and it's like, and now. This guy just disappeared. Like no one, obviously, no one's gonna ask for him. Nothing. So it's like he yeah. literally just disappeared. No one's gonna answer him. Only the only people who are gonna answer him is his family, who doesn't want him to leave there. So it's like who, perfect who, setup, honestly. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Another perfect example of things just and it dis- and, it, and it distracts Hanover from everything that's going on because now he's trying to save face for the whole facility. And that's his main and focus they, and priority. Yep. Forgot about the drugs and forgot about the priest class. Thing. Exactly. And now I was just thinking about this guy who killed himself in his office. So then 
after that, we finally get to Edmund Tolleson's arrival, which is like ooh, the best the, part. I is, think is the best part. This is right after. This is right after she cremates the body. Yeah. Right after she cremates the body, the fire goes up, and then it cuts to like police sirens in yeah. the nighttime driving on the highway. And at first, I was like, "Oh my god, did they like find her?" Like, did they find out? <laughs> me too, me too. I was like, oh, she's going to jail. Get, That's crazy. Yeah. She's going to come get her. Because then they show her standing in the motel parking lot. And then you see, like, one police car go by. And then you see this big black, like, big black, like, box truck drive by. And then another police car. And it's obviously, like, escorting something. And it takes to the mental institution where, like, the huge metal gates start creaking open and everything. And then you they open the the back of it and then chains huge like huge chains too like like uh, waist like waist, shackles yeah ankles yeah. yeah shackles complete they take them off he shackles down you hear everything just like crunching like all the chains yeah and then like that's the first time you see edmund and a- after they, the fact like as a prisoner after the fact they kill yeah everybody. they finally you finally see his face after seeing after seeing him for like the past hour or whatever and then they put him in the basement wine cellar which was converted into a maximum security prison which is all celled up and jailed and then that's where we see Ratch walked in Mildred walks in and she walks up to the cell and she looks at Edmund and just says like Edmund and that's where we find out that they're brother and sister Boom. That was a great yeah, that like, and that that's me out my jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, what? No way. I knew like I, I didn't say I, I, I knew no it, but I but I knew there was something. I was like, because for her to just, you know, like come in and do all of this for no reason or just to get a job simply is just crazy. Like who would do that? But now it's like everything comes like full what? circle. Everything comes full circle. Like, now it's, this, it's yeah. this is the reason why she's doing it, is because her brother is facing death row he's facing the death penalty and if he is not fit to stand trial then he can live his life in the mental institution well presumably live his life in the mental institution but he'll still be alive he won't be put on death so she's pretty much doing everything she can to make him not fit to stand trial and save his life and then they could be i guess ultimately together since they haven't been together since they were children yeah absolutely yeah i mean that scene to me is a is a is a perfect ending for a pilot because in a sense it, it, it everything comes full circle now we understand exactly why why everything's kind of happening the way it's happening and it puts more blame on a priest because clearly now like because yeah. now clearly like the priest like had two kids with um with their mother yeah, which twins or i guess they i guess they're twins if they're the same age or one and one or or, or like we, or we don't know what the situation is but either way like their mother ended yeah, up we don't in, know the ages yeah well their mother ended up in a whorehouse per se and died so now there's this death i think i think this whole this whole series as well is really cool because now it's kind of like you you're kind of rooting for not the bad guy per se but you're rooting but it's, it's the first time we're like yeah we're rooting for I a serial killer way, yeah, I'm rooting for them to be together. We're, right? I'm, we're yeah. rooting for them to escape the mental hospital and just and just and leave because clearly we're seeing that okay, yeah, like according to the press and according to 
the media and according to what is being reported and everything, this guy's a bad guy because they he killed because he killed yeah. because he killed four priests. Which once you hear that, you're like, yes, you are you automatically make the the jurisdiction of okay, this guy needs to go to jail the rest of his life. Crazy murder. All yeah. that, but it gets more complicated because now nobody except them two knows that the Monsignor was um ha- had like had them out of wedlock and because of that there was some, because of that issue sent to her house and then she died all that stuff like that's horrible and then of course that does like play a big role into mental health and psychiatric health within the trial if that information is brought up per se because then it kind of like it does it does sympathize with him instead of it just being this guy's a, uh, a clergy killer crazy guy that's it yeah so yeah i mean so it so i think it's very interesting to see the kind of like what everyone's motive is within the show obviously for um for uh for for rat for ratched it's to finesse everybody and to pretty much you know go against the system and help her brother out and i don't so i don't know if she wants yeah. to break him out or help him exactly but i'm assuming that she wants to help him break out because right as of right now it doesn't look like it's a good it's a good chance for him to not get the death penalty i guess right now it's pretty much just keeping him alive right keeping him alive okay not letting him on the death penalty like keeping him where he's not fit to stand trial and he has to serve the rest of his sentence or life at that hospital where she would at least have like a little more control over yeah so yeah, this, and she'll be with yeah. him every day. Yeah. So to a sense, it's kind of yeah. like, it's a very touch. <laughs> in a sense, it's very touching because um, it's kind of <laughs> like, no matter what your sibling does or no matter what your family member does, you're going to want to look out for them, even if they did, you know, just kill four priests kill or, four priests, yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> whatever. Right. Yeah. But so, yeah, I mean, you know, th- this show, absolutely incredible because it, it, it goes from crazy priests being naughty not doing what they're supposed to be doing to now you're sympathizing with the serial killer who killed four priests you killed them yeah yeah to now like there's a mental hospital and now you're kind of like rooting for the psychopaths to win the narcissists and everything and like which is crazy which i think that's one of the great things about film or like in movies in general is that and yeah, it doesn't especially like, the script the writing yeah too. like the protagonist doesn't always have to be the, the superhero great guy you know perfect being superman type of thing no like Sometimes the good guy, quote unquote, is 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 an ass. Is some is are people who abuse their power and really just don't know how to go about it and just are manipulators. And while the bad guys per se, there's a reason why they do the things that they do. So I think it's like and exactly. especially so you, being that's yeah, in the 1940s, it's why. yeah. Especially and being that it's in the 1940s too. You know, America is very conservative. Of course, it's moving post-war, so of course that whole. Um, that whole label of being progressive and moving towards like a better future, that political setting kind of t- kind of ties in with why things are going on the way they're going. But yet, the most conservative thing of like, okay, this guy needs to die in prison because he killed four priests. Mm-hmm. That type of aspect within that culture is still like going. So these two, so these two aspects are like battling each other. And plus, like you know, mental health wasn't taken seriously in the 40s exactly they, they, they as after all like the, the governor when he first meets um when he meets um dr um yeah when, when he meets dr, dr. He, hanover dr hanover he tells him oh you run a loony bin 
like that's yeah. in, that's inappropriate. Like you wouldn't call even if it's a psych, it's a psychiatric hospital facility. You don't call it a loony bin. That's something that you know people yeah. who are uh, people who are uneducated or insensitive call you know these call types of facilities. If you're a governor, you should have a little more respect towards towards a doctor. You know Especially someone who's at, the yeah, governor. yeah someone who's running a facility that's that's meant to help people or rehabilitate people per se. So yeah. This show amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to finish the rest of it. Um, but yeah, acting superb, lighting, um, superb, music and superb, all, everything superb. Yeah, all honestly. the music is original composure. Oh, interesting. Okay, do you know who composed it by yeah. chance? Uh, <laughs> no. No. All right. Now I was trying to credit uh, someone, but I, yeah. And uh, and Netflix. Wait, this is a Netflix original series, right? It's a Netflix original series. Yes, and it's uh, produced by Ryan Murphy. Nah, Netflix always has the best produced stuff in it, in it, and you can just and you can just show. Yeah. So the only non uh, original composure, I think, is the, the intro. Okay. Which I just had it there. Yeah, but no, this show is great. It's absolutely stunning visuals. And I love the camera shots and all the characters, and I really love the storyline. And I can't wait to start finishing the rest of the season. And I love that Netflix—you can just binge everything. Yeah, you don't exactly. Have to wait till the next episode. Yeah. So I'm just gonna go watch it now. Awesome. Yeah, me too, man. Um. So, yeah, anything else about the show before we log off? No, that's it. I think this was great. All right, awesome. So that's that's so that's not bad. So that's not bad for a first episode of Not Your Average Critic. Um, we'll catch you guys next week with um, who we got for next week. Uh, do you know what movie we got for next week? I think we have Legend for next song. Um, Legend, yeah. yeah. Legend with Tom Hardy. Um, great, um, great, uh, great. It's a great movie about these two twins that are like, um, the I forgot the last I forgot the last names exactly, but like they're a bunch they're, they're gangsters from like, like London it, yeah. in the '60s. So again, we're going back to like like the old school type of like biopics and stuff like that. This time, twenty years into the future of you know the nineteen forties for when we were just talking about, but definitely can't wait to get um into conversation about that. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I haven't seen it yet, and I can't wait to watch it. I'm very excited about that. All right, awesome. We appreciate you guys for tuning in. This is not your average critic, and we'll catch you guys next time. See you guys later.